welcome to Drive Digital Success, your behind-the-scenes podcast about Formula One and the technology driving it. Presented by Chris Medland and Mandy Carter. Powered by IONOS, first-class cloud and IT infrastructure. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Digital Success podcast. I'm Chris Medland, a Formula One journalist and broadcaster who will be here to guide you through this complex sport with help from the Haas F1 team and other key figures. And I'm Mandy Carter, Head of Marketing for IONOS UK. I'll be sharing how our partnership with Haas benefits the team and explaining where the F1 world meets our digital one in real terms. So to learn more about the Haas F1 team, where better to start than team principal Gunter Steiner? Gunter, thank you very much for joining us. I know you're a very busy man because you have one of the most important jobs in Formula One. But what is a team principal? I mean, if you had just bumped into someone on the street, what are you telling them that your job is? Where do we start and where do we finish? But no, the first thing is you run like a company. You're like the general manager, CEO, whatever we want to call it. You run a company which uh, goes racing, you know. So that is how to explain it in a few words. But how did you get into racing? Like, What brought you into motorsport and then up to the position of running a team? What brought me into motorsport is I always loved it. I don't know uh, where it came from. My family was not into motorsport. Where I come from, there is very little, if almost non-motorsport. It's not allowed to do motorsport there. It's more about skiing and all that good things. So I just had a passion for racing cars. And I don't know where it came from. And I always bugged my father to take me to some races, to some hill climb races, which were near in the area. And there where it started. So how did I get to be a team principal of F1? I don't really know, you know. <laughs> so I just ended up here, you know. So... No, I, I just started off as a mechanic when I was 20 years old and just uh, always kept on working and kept on working. And at some stage, there I was in F1. How many people do work for you at Haas F1? I mean, the whole team, it's about 200. We are the smallest team, but intentionally, we are the smallest team. So you have contracted a lot of stuff out direct for it's 200 people in the company. If we talk financial figures, how much does it cost to run an F1 team? over a season a lot of money a lot <laughs> of money you know it depends but now the, the figures are quite public there is a budget cap at uh, 145 million dollars a year plus some of the stuff is outside so in total it's about a budget of uh, 180 million dollars the maximum you can spend or i mean if you've got a very good driver it will be a little bit more because that is outside but that's roughly the budget it's about 150 to 200 million but for you then to be in a position where you now run a team like you say where you started from as a mechanic did it help to kind of progress through and understand how an F1 team works and all the different areas of it because they're so big? I would say so. And, and when I started, that was more than 35 years ago now. You know, I'm quite an old man now. So motorsport was different. I think that was an advantage as well. While my career grew, the business grew of motorsport grew. So you were in it, but you moved on and you could learn by doing it almost, you know. So I didn't get into an industry like it is now, F1 or motorsport. I didn't start in F1. I started in rallying, world rallying. So it was very different at the times. It was Everything was much smaller, much simpler, but everything got more complex, more money got involved. But I was always going with it. So that for sure helped to get a good understanding of it. You learn by doing it. I didn't have to go in there and then try to learn at what I was doing. I actually grew up with it. And I think for a lot of people which are in F1 or in motorsport in general, they just grew with the sport and then ended up here. Mm. And you mentioned that Haas is intentionally one of the smallest teams or the smallest team in terms of people in the company, but you contract things out. You must have a lot of stakeholders. Is it tough to keep on top of everything? I wouldn't say it's easy, but what is, it's relative. Uh, difficult is relative. You need to 
work hard to keep up with it, you know, and there is always challenges to it. But I'm surrounded by a lot of good people, which are here since Haas was established six, seven years ago, and they know how we are doing things. So that helps a lot because if you have people which think the same and understand what you want to do, that we intentionally do it a little bit different than the boilerplate, call it F1 team, it helps a lot because they know what you're expecting from them. And a lot of people stay around with this philosophy because they like it, because they are more involved with more things to do. They're not just specialized in one job. They are doing a lot more than other teams. Obviously, accountability is there as well, much more than other teams. So, But a lot of people like the challenge. Mm. And who are the main people you do lean on, though? Because to run an F1 team, you must have to trust some people with some pretty big jobs. Who who are the main go-to people that will tell you things that are happening in the team or give you information that you're going to need? It's the normal positions, the technical people, you've got the technical director, chief race engineer, your human resources, your financial people, you rely a lot on that you know where you are with your money. We deal a lot with the press, our press people, you know, we have to mention them. It's like in any any other company, you've got the main people which run these departments and what they need to know is how you want to do things. So so they know exactly when to come to you and when not, because I, I give people quite a bit of freedom because I know they're trustworthy and they understand what we want to achieve. And when I say what we want to achieve is the whole team, not only me as a person, but also what the owner of the team, Gene Haas, wants to achieve. I understand his philosophy and I just bring that one forward, the next level down. So that is what we are doing. And what is his philosophy or the team's philosophy that you have to make sure people know? We need to work efficiently. And he's a big believer. His, his company is built up on efficiencies. Do not just follow trends because everybody does it. Try always to find a way to do things more efficient. And Mandy, it'd be good to bring you in at that point because Gunther mentions efficiency, but there's 200 people in the Haas F1 team. So is that a, a small or a big organization for IONOS to deal with? You know, honestly, of that 200 people within the Haas team, we probably only support a handful of, of those people, and those are the technologists. So we're helping that team leverage the cloud to capture data, analyze it, and, you know, increase performance overall. So speaking of efficiency, um, that very small team uh, that we work with allows the bulk of the team to focus on things like the engineering of the car and, and other things to, to ensure that they're winning races. But I guess lots of members of the team are going to want to tap into stuff that Ionis is involved in. So, so what are the challenges of dealing with that number of people in one company, be it you're focused on a small number, but the company itself has a bigger number that might want to, to then feed into that? You know, um, for us, it's not the size of the company, but more about the complexity of their needs, right? So we work with companies that are two-man bands that may have a, a hugely complex technology, technology need, and we work with companies with thousands of employees. So it's really not about the size of an organization, but but the end application for their technology. You know, also one of the core benefits of cloud is scalability, right? So regardless of the size of an organization, cloud scales to meet their needs. So scales up and down as, as organizations grow and also unfortunately sometimes wane. So um, again, it's it's never really about the size of the team. It's, it's just what they want to do with that tech. Well, it's all very complex, clearly, but the main goal for the Haas F1 team is to build two cars that can go racing over a weekend. So Gunther, you've told us about the overall team budget, but the car itself must be extremely expensive. You mentioned being efficient as well, which usually means getting more value for money. But are there ways to do that when it comes to the car? Absolutely. Efficient doesn't mean to be cheap. Efficient means to use the money as best as possible. So there's always ways to do things a little bit different, you know, just focusing on it a little bit more than normally. That will be installed in all F1 things with the budget cap. You need to get performance out you need to use the money best to get the performance. Because if you spend it on things which are not giving you performance, you obviously pay the consequence on the racetrack. I think it's turned more to be like a normal company where you always try to maximize revenue. You maximize 
the money you put, but your revenue instead being money is performance on the racetrack. And that's what we try to do. It's not always just to save money, it's to use it as best as possible. Obviously, you judged a lot on the performance on the racetrack, but that means building a new car every year to go racing with. How much does it cost to create a Formula One car? Performance is everything, by the way. You know, that is the only thing you get judged on in Formula One. Nothing else, you know. Do you mean how much does a Formula One car cost in parts? I wouldn't know on top of my head, but it's millions. To create a Formula One car, you need to create tooling to make the parts. So how do you count it? How do you write it off? But it's millions of dollars uh, what an F1 car costs. And like you said, there's more to the team than just building the F1 car as well. It's it's creating machines that will do it and that sort of stuff. Just how much of your job then comes to a position of making sure you have all of the right departments and areas to be able to do this because there's such a wide ranging number of topics. You can't just be an expert, I guess, in building an F1 car because like you say, you have finance to think of and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I think the good thing, I know a little bit of everything and nothing really good, you know. So I actually can discuss with, I would say, everybody and know the detail. I'm not micromanaging. I don't want to do that out of principle because then I don't get the best out of the people. I always want them to. But when they speak, I understand pretty well what they are doing. But that is because I didn't come in when I was 40. I do it since I'm 20 years old. So I've seen a lot. I've done most of the positions which you need in the front in my career. So I spend time with the people when I need to, but I can actually see if something goes wrong I have a good feeling if there is something not going how it should go and then I get involved in it obviously because that's my job but if something is going smoothly and the reporting back everything is fine and I don't see any red flag coming up I let them work because that is what people want especially people which work for us as a small company if they want a job in a big company they need to go to a big team and they, some of people don't want to do that they want to have responsibility knowing that they are accountable for something their head will stick up if something goes wrong their head will stick up if something goes right you know that is a lot of people are looking for and that's what I always try to create that climate for the people to work in. You mentioned accountability. I imagine you probably know what that's like more than most in the position of team principal. But what does a, a typical day look like for you away from the racetrack? What sort of things are you having to deal with and work are you having to do? There is always issues somewhere in the company. There is never a day. There is no issue. But also, it's not only to deal with issues. We also have to develop the company, having a vision and looking into where can we get better. I always see that one. That That is my job mainly. And if you have good people around you, the day-to-day work is done by them. You need to check on it. But that doesn't take a lot of time if you are always in contact with these people. It's more like, where do I need to work? To find the next thing that we grow as a company, which goes from finding sponsors, finding good technical people, goes to find partners we want to work with. There is making sure that personnel-wise we have got the right people. There is so many things to do, but it's nothing else than any other general manager of a big company. Just always look into the future, try to make the next right move. I imagine it's different when it comes to a race weekend because that's a much more structured kind of format. What's your job like when you're at a racetrack? Absolutely, there is there. There is just meeting set up. You need to deal with media. I always want to be uh, not involved, but be aware of what we are planning for the weekend, the test program for the free practice sessions, the program for qualifying, which could change. I always go to these briefings and tend as many debriefs as possible, time permitting. That's also for me to be prepared when people ask me questions, what is going on, what is not happening, when I have to speak with the drivers, that I know what's going on. So if there is an issue coming up, at least I'm aware. I don't need to go around and, oh, can you give me this information? You know, you are prepared. And when you're prepared, you get questions a lot less than when you're not prepared. Because people know, if I go to him, he knows what's going on. So there is no way to find an angle on it or steer him in any direction. I know pretty well what's going on. And therefore, it's much more structured. But then there is commitments. On Thursdays, normally I come to the track on Thursday morning. And I still have to deal with the day-to-day work because it's first everybody else works in the office. So, But I try to start to get in the rhythm of the race weekend. And from Friday onwards, I focus on the race weekend and just try to always be informed what we are doing and writing 
things happen. So at least I know if I need to present something, I'm well briefed what is going on. One way of looking at it, though, is like if you can visualize your job as a pie chart and like how you divide up your time, you've got so many different aspects that you might have to think of. Is it ever structured enough for you to think, yeah, I spend a quarter of my time thinking about car development or team development and 20% of my time thinking about personnel? Does your job change so often that you can't even look at it that way? You always deal with different things and you just need to pick them up as they come along. We are doing so many different things and issues come up everywhere. It, it, it's so intense. So you cannot say today I spend 20% of my time with the HR, 20% with finance, and I spend 40% with the race team because there, there for sure something comes in. You just always try to level out that everybody gets enough time so everybody can keep on working. What I never want to do is holding people up which are working hard, you know, and try to make progress and sometimes need an answer from me. So you always try to deal with that. And the rest of the time, just think forward, what do I need to do to make the team better for the future? You've mentioned, though, that when it's a race weekend, your focus goes completely on a race weekend from Friday. What does the race weekend look like in terms of the structure of the team's work from FP1 through to a race debrief? What's the workflow that the team has to tick off? What I participate in, they do a lot more race engineering and the mechanics, but what I participate normally before every FP session, there is a briefing what we are doing. After each FP session, there is a debrief and the same goes for qualifying and for the race. So th- that is the main structure of it. And obviously on Sunday, I've got the strategy briefing where the strategy presents his way how he wants to run the race so that is quite structured but there is media in between as well to do but it's quite intense and what would you say that is the most fun part of your job is it managing the drivers because you've got quite a few conflicts you have to deal with sometimes no no that's (laughs) actually no fun that's always a headache you know because there is once you have sorted it all out you just did what they should be doing you're not making any progress you just put them on no the, the most fun part obviously is when you go competitive with other people that is why you work so hard the hour on saturday when you qualify and the two hours on sunday when you race that is why you're doing this obviously this year we are not in a good shape because we are not very competitive but there is for me nothing better in life than when you're competitive and go out and race that makes you think that makes you do so many things in your head what, what could you be doing and then you say some stupid stuff as well it's emotional you know and that that i love about it you know and that is why you work all the week long that you can go racing because that is why you do it the competitive aspect of it you mentioned it's emotional though as well what's been perhaps the most emotional moment for you in this job there's quite a few. When you fight, there's emotional moments when you have a good result. There's emotional moments when a good result goes away for something, you know, for mechanic or a driver error. There's emotional moments like when Romain had the accident last year. I mean, in my career, I did rallying, as I said, there, there was so many emotional moments. I couldn't find one specific one, the biggest one. In the end, they're all good, you know. They're all good because they all ended good in my career. Is there a best moment, though, for you at Haas? Maybe the first race of the team, having put all that effort in? That is a thing I will never forget uh, when we scored points at our first race because there were so many people which uh, gave us no chance. They said, you guys are just here. You will be quicker gone than you came, you know. There was a lot of naysayers. Not because I want to prove them wrong, just to show you can do something even if people give you no credit or nothing. I didn't care about what people said and I still do not care what people say, you know, their opinion. Yeah, you listen to it and, you know, you can have your opinion, but it doesn't do anything to how I conduct what I do and how we run the team. You know, I'm not influenced by people's opinion because the only one which will be held responsible for it will be me. I can deal with that. Having that satisfaction to get points at the first race when I don't know how many people thought we were a bunch of clowns, we proved them, the whole team proved them wrong, you know. This was not clowns. These were people which did something not many people have done before. And I'm not focusing on me because I was just a little part of this one. Yeah, I started off, but I found the right people around me to get it done. And that is what I always keep in mind. I can just be as good as the people which work for the team are, you know, me alone, Without them, 
is nothing. I just need to fit in there and make the people fit in. You mentioned earlier, a quick racing car is the only way of measuring success. You're really successful if you've got performance. But is that true? Or are there other ways that you can measure the success of the job that you're doing? I could measure the job. But the only thing I want to measure it for mine, because that's my passion, is racing. You know, I started this team up from nothing. I looked for an investor. I created it. So creating it was already a success. But that for me is just part to have success on the racetrack. Last year, we were struggling. You know, we didn't know we were here. I think you could say it was success that we kept the team going. I forget pretty quick about that because I focus on having success on the racetrack in the moment while we are struggling on the racetrack knowingly I told everybody last year that we will be struggling for me the success will come again when we fight for something and I will forget next year when we finish in the points that last year we didn't have a chance to go there next year I will be obsessed by making more points and get better results you know that is what drives you you always forget the last good thing because you want more of it part of being able to improve though is sometimes learning from your mistakes have there been big mistakes you think you've made since you've been team principal of the past I think in my whole career, I learned out of mistakes and quicker you learn, better you get. You learn out of it, but there was not one big mistake which we need to solve. We should have done this different. No, they're all little things and you never have to forget. If I did something wrong, never be too proud to say it. This was the wrong decision. I need to do it different because then you get better. And that is what I always tell people. If you do something wrong, if it wasn't intentionally, it can happen. But don't do it wrong twice and for sure not three times because the third time it shows that you are not the smartest guy, you know. So that's always because I do things wrong. I do a lot of things wrong, but we fix them immediately. Are there any specific ones you can think of where the team's probably improved as a result of mistakes either you've made or the team's made? I don't remember them because my memory is not the best, but there is so many. We, we could be sitting here for hours to tell them, but that's what I say it's all the little stuff as well I don't want to go into one specific one it's just in general I keep it always okay we did something wrong let's get it right do not even discuss we know it was wrong let's get it fixed Mandy is that an attitude that you see across other businesses is it important to be reflective from the very top of the company to learn from mistakes I mean absolutely failing fast is a really common business term that gets thrown around these days and you know I the way I see it failure isn't always a negative thing because with each failure is an opportunity to learn and to to fix things and to improve right and optimize so basically failing fast means that the quicker you get to the mistake the quicker you get to make making things better learning and just um, optimizing performance of your product or service or you know whatever your end result is is that something that ours can do uh, as a partner of lots of different companies does that allow you to learn quickly too i mean yeah absolutely the thing with the cloud is that it is scalable, flexible, changeable. So you scale up, you fail, you scale down. You know, you, there's applications and things that you put on top of your cloud infrastructure that, that help you measure and capture data. And, you know, all those things can help a team or a company or a person, you know, realize their mistakes faster. And then again, change their performance, change their behavior so that they get the end result that they're wanting. Let's talk about Ionos. It's a company that, among other things, specializes in cloud computing. How do you collect data and and use it to learn and improve. I mean, Formula One, everything is about data. If you speak with the engineers, the only thing they want to do is looking at data, you know, to get better, which is the right thing because it's very sophisticated sport and very sophisticated technology. So what is the driver doing? You have all this on data, you know, this whole lap, every millisecond of his driving you have on data. So they look at that one. Technically, you've got so many sensors on the car that you see everything what happens in the car. So data is the most important thing to make the car and the driver run and get better. Because from the data, if you're clever, we can all collect data, but we need to interpret it as well and so you need good data available to do that job and when are you using that data because it's easy just to talk about it and say oh we collect it and learn from it but is it instantly are you looking at it and straight away talking to a driver or, or learning things or are you also doing it away from a racetrack and reviewing things much longer after the event 
we do all of it. I mean, we have got one guy which looks at the data. I just take an example, the lines of the drivers, compare it with the other drivers, the braking points and all that stuff and gives the feedback immediately. That's all on data because he sees it on the GPS data from the other cars, what other people are doing, lines which are fed immediately to the driver. But during the race, the data of the strategy gets changed constantly with the changing of the field. If somebody changes tires first, if the tire degrades more than that. But then you've got all the data, which we call the simplistic data, which is looking after the health of the car. Engine data, cooling data, downforce data. You get it all. You've got everything. You're always aware. Some of it you use immediately also there, like on downforce data. If you have a light crash on, on lap one, you damage your floor. You know exactly when he changes the tires, you need to adjust the aero balance because you lost some of something. So you use the data there. But then also, when the people go back to the factory, they look at all the data to see if we can learn something, if the balance could have been made better, if we were out of aero balance, mechanical balance. And then you use the same data to develop the new car because you have got all this data. What we develop in the wind tunnel needs to match what they need at the racetrack. It's no point that, for example, we prefer a lot of downforce, but as soon as you turn the, the wheels, the downforce goes away. That doesn't help because the downforce you need in a corner and to make a corner, you need to turn your wheels. So data, as you can hear, it's everywhere. One of the things that usually is good from a Formula 1 point of view is the way the calendar works is you return to similar venues every year and you get to maybe learn from what happened previously. Can you ever think of a time where you've had a breakthrough from analysing data back at the factory or even at the track that's then helped you instantly improve? I don't think that there is an instant improvement. It's just accumulating data over years. You just like everything, what you do more than once, you get experience and you get better in. You try to get more and more data. You're getting there better prepared because you know from the year before what it did. So the engineers can use that data to prepare, for example, the setup for FP1 and hopefully get there more prepared or use the data to put into the simulator. When you run the simulator with the driver, the car there is already in a better place setup-wise than it would be when you go out in FP1 with no no information. Now, I know this year you haven't developed the car, but previous years you have developed the car during the season and added upgrades and performance to it. How does the data you gather help direct the car development? The biggest example is downforce data. That is a hard data. Then again, we had the 19, 2019, very difficult. We had upgrades in the wind tunnel. They showed to be very good, but at the racetrack, they were not. The drivers didn't see any improvements while the wind show a lot of improvements. Then you use your data. It is not easy. I can imagine if you wouldn't have the data, you would never find out what is wrong. You just find out that in certain stages, the car just isn't better. It doesn't run as smooth, for example, as in the wind tunnel. In the wind tunnel, you have no side wind and the cars react to that. For the next iteration of the car, you include what you learned and don't make these mistakes again. Gathering all that data and then making it available on the cloud, I guess, for everybody within the team helps you work more remotely. I know the Haas has a number of different bases, factories, headquarters spread out across the world. How important is it for you then to lean on the cloud in your day-to-day life? and be able to stay connected with different aspects of the team. You can have that everywhere, but the cloud is convenient because it's always there. It's the cloud, but also financial-wise, it's better to have it there because you use the data when you need it. You don't need to provide usage to do calculations in your own building or in one of the buildings you have got and make the investment in the infrastructure. You use the cloud when and when you need it. You're free to use it. You store it. You leave it there. If somebody wants to do something with the data, first of all, yes, immediate access. And if you need to do some work, calculating time or stuff like this you don't need to have it always 100% there because sometimes engineers we are running in the wind tunnel we are doing FE calculations we are doing race strategy if all goes together you need a really big infrastructure which sometimes is used only 10% with the cloud you use it when you need it you just pay as you go call it like this you're not investing a lot of money in an infrastructure which you only use maybe 10 days a year 100% 
And Mandy, how is Ionis set up to help an F1 team be able to access so much data, both immediately after gathering it uh, and in real time, but also much later? It's really exciting to see a company that's putting to use real-time data to inform their strategy and really help improve performance with immediate effect. Um, for lack of a better word, it's just really cool. Um, it's a great use case for advanced technology. So the cloud can store vast lakes of data. And then you can deploy apps on top of that that can help you know, an end user to kind of sort and analyze the data that they've then collected. So for a team like Haas, they can take that data, analyze it, and start to understand where they're having peaks and troughs and, and what's working and what's not for the team, right? So it, it allows them to immediately identify what's working and make small tweaks um, really quickly. And then on top of that, you got AI and machine learning and all these really cool industry buzzwords, but they're not really just buzzwords. They're they're truly valuable and that they allow technology to lead the way. And, you know, in every race, there's thousands and thousands of data points collected um, on a single, you know, car. So there's no human that could actually analyze all those data points very quickly. Um, and then again, make changes that would, that would have quick effect. So technology is really leading the way there um, in allowing quick improvements. The other thing that's great about cloud is that you know, F1, it's a circus, right? It's a new in a new location every two weeks. Um, there's constant travel. So the data needs to not only be available quickly, but anywhere, anytime, any device. So whether that's racetrack side or whether that's, you know, in the UK factory, cloud allows anybody to um, access that data and, and work on it around the globe. So that's really cool. And then I guess the last thing about kind of over time and, and you know, far into the future, is just that thousands and thousands of data points per race grows, right? So that data lake is constantly growing and um, cloud enables, because of, because of the scalability and just the nature of the way it works, you know, over time you can grow that and collect it and, and have it stored there for instant access anytime. Awesome, and is that something you have to do with multiple businesses or are the demands of an F1 team unique in terms of some of the major requests they have of you guys? In the cloud, in technology, Every customer is unique because every organization has different end goals. Um, they have different technical requirements to meet those end goals. So that's why at IONOS, we have technical experts that work kind of on a one-to-one -one with each of our customers to identify um, not only the technology they want to use, but like, what are they trying to do with it, right? So what's their end goal? And we help to kind of configure almost bespoke solutions for each one of our customers. So one of the things that our customers love is that, that little bit of individual attention to ensure that you know, every every need is met. One of the, I guess, one thing in common these days that most businesses have in common is that the world's getting smaller. Uh, COVID notwithstanding, but you know, most companies have multiple geographical locations, um, or if not, they have aspirations to grow, right? Everybody wants to be a big global company these days. So any business can benefit from kind of that anywhere, anytime availability that, that cloud allows. Partners like Ionos have become more and more important in modern day Formula One in terms of accessing data like that. Is that something that you've kind of adapted the team to? Because you do have multiple different bases in different countries that you have to work with. Did you see the potential of being able to actually have satellite areas that you work with rather than having to put everyone under one roof? No specific for that, but when the cloud technology was developed and we started years ago trying to find a partner with the cloud technology because it was just the more efficient way for us to do it. We started off seven years with nothing. 
When we then found Ionos as a partner, it was a big help. And we just use as we go. In F1, you have got a very big computer to do your CFD, computerized aerodynamics. You need to change this computer every five years. Cost millions to buy it. I had already the idea four or five years ago, we go to the cloud. But by regulation, we cannot do that. But my aim is still that at some stage we get to the cloud. But that would be a perfect example how we can be more efficient. That sounds like a lot of your job then as well. is not only thinking about building a fast race car now, it's planning for the future of the team. Absolutely. I mean, that is what you do as a CEO, general manager. You look at the future and you try to have a vision for it, how to make it better. And that's part of it. For us, it's the performance. A normal business is the revenue. You just try to find efficient ways to invest your money. As you sit here now, how do you think the future looks for F1? What, how do you think it will develop and evolve over the next 10, 15, 20 years I think there was a steady grow, but now it's one of the sports which is growing, which is not many sports. The demographics are getting younger. A lot of people is interested in. It's good entertainment, I think. I think it has got a very good future in the moment. Do you think it will become more sustainable as a sport? Biofuels are being developed for use in these F1 cars. How else can the sport reduce its environmental impact? Because that's something that's a big focus at the moment, and that could have a big impact on your job as well. Yeah, sustainability, I think, is not only a big issue for F1. It's a big issue for the world. We need to think what we are doing, and everybody needs to start with himself. That's what I always think. To make things better, you need to start with himself. You shouldn't be using plastic bottles, for example. We still need to get into this culture, but F1 is working really hard. It's a big drive to make it more sustainable. But it's not only the cars. Cars is just what we see. You know, biofuels, they will be developed. I think F1 can help to drive it because we are always in front of the technology. Obviously, it will take some time to get it done. We need to be all a little bit patient, but we never need to forget. Start with yourself. Start with what you're doing, what your company is doing to try to make it better. The biofuels are not far away. And that's a good thing. And we, for sure keep on pushing on whatever we do as well as a team to get better in that way because we need to yeah that, that's one way it could all change how about the makeup of the paddock as well the f1 paddock's a very male dominated place at the moment do you see that changing over the next 10 years or so spectators now there is a big gain on female spectators that will drive to girls wanting to get into engineering which is a good thing and then some of them will want to work in f1 but we cannot expect that we do this short term it's a little bit a cultural thing but it will change it and everything is changing in the world anyway and i think there was never anything that you needed to be a male to come to f1 no there was always females as well in f1 females being more interested in f1 that will help to have more females in the paddock we haven't had a female driver in a long time, though. Do you think that would be good to have? And do you see that happening anytime soon? I think it would be fantastic. For a long time, we didn't have it. We can support it, but there needs to be the drive coming as well from the females. I want to be an F1 driver. Girls, go, go and do it. You know, it is possible. I don't think there is a reason why they, they couldn't be. And I hope it happens soon. Maybe more than one. We always say, oh, there should be a female driver. No, there, there could be half of the field could be female driver. I have no issue with that. It needs time to grow this because you need to start young to do this. And we cannot expect somebody going into F1 competing with a boy which started go-karting at four years old. I think physically there is no issue with it. It's not just though about getting females into the sport. We've seen recently that there's been a lot of focus on the fact there's not enough diversity in terms of ethnic backgrounds as well. Is enough being done from Formula One's point of view to try and open up opportunities and how important is that for you as a team boss because surely the wider the talent pool that you can pick from the better your team's going to be. We need to support minorities. I think there is never a discrimination against minorities. I cannot see that in the paddock. I mean, in the paddock long enough, there is not a discrimination. If the talent is there, I don't think anybody really looks at where it comes from.
a lot of the added interest that we've seen recently has come from one particular place, or people seem to think it has, and I know it's your favourite topic. The Netflix Drive to Survive series has made you a bit of a cult hero. How does that sit with you? It's not my favourite topic. <laughs> I, I have not seen it, but a lot of people watched it and found it interesting. But that is thanks to the people which did this series, you know, and the people which broadcasted this series. They made an investment, they had a vision, and it worked out to be good for them because they had commercial success. A lot of people watch it. And F1 on the other side had the vision that this will help F1 in general. This vision maybe 10 years ago wouldn't have gone anywhere. Sean Bratches had that vision and he pulled it through. Uh, the first year, some of the team didn't participate because they couldn't see that it is good. In the end, it was good for F1 in general. For me personal, as you call it a cult hero, I don't think it's anything bad. But the thing is changed. People recognize you. But otherwise, I didn't change. And I don't want to change. I have no intention to change. I do what I like to do. I'm fortunate enough to work with people I like to work work with not all of them obviously and that's why I don't watch it so I don't change because if I watch myself maybe I always say I learn out of mistakes and if I watch myself I'm sure I see a lot of mistakes as people tell me so I, if I'm gonna fix them then maybe it's not me anymore and I get camera shy I just think in general for F1 it was a good thing for me personally not a lot changed would you say then that people watching that get to see the real Gunter Stein I would think so people which know me which work with me I think they see that I don't change for the camera and I don't do anything special some people said since Netflix was in I did so much work for them and I didn't do any work. The only work I do, I put a mic on. The rest they do. I mean, I just do my job. And if they film it and make a good story out of it, good for them. They did a good job, not me. Well, now thanks to Ionis as well. Plenty more people know more about you and the job you do. Maybe Netflix doesn't show all of it and hopefully people have just learned a bit today as well. So Gunther, thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. See you at our next pit stop in two weeks. Drive Digital Success. Brought to you by Ionos, first-class cloud and IT infrastructure. Production by Digital Compact. Presenters are Mandy Carter and Chris Medland. Music and sound design by raffamusic.com. If you've liked this podcast, recommend it to your friends and give us five stars at your favourite podcast provider.